Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Master Your Mix podcast. I'm really happy that you're here today. Today I'm interviewing Josh Carodi. Josh and I actually go way back. We first met in college. We went to the same recording school together, and it's awesome to see everything that he's gone on to do since then. He is a studio owner. He owns Candle Recording out of Toronto. It's a really, really cool room. And since then, he's gone on to work with a bunch of really cool bands. He's worked with bands such as Holy Fuck, Weaves, The Dirty Nil, and a whole bunch more. And we have a really cool conversation all about starting up a studio and everything that went into starting up his studio and things that you need to consider if you're going to do the same. We talk about how to pick clients that are going to meet your career goals, how to leave your mark in the industry so that people want to keep coming back to you. And he also gets into some technical stuff, such as his really extensive multi-mic technique for recording and committing to effects in the tracking stage. And he also shares his very non-traditional vocal recording technique that he likes to use. He's got a very creative approach to recording things, and I think you're going to find it really interesting and you're going to learn a lot from this. So let's dive right into the interview. So Josh, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. So for people who might not be familiar with who you are, can you give us a little bit of background on what you do, how you got into this? I sort of started recording um, local and friend bands uh, in my <clears throat> my hometown of St. Catharines about maybe 10 years ago. And from playing in bands, just like meeting a lot of musicians and started with a bit of a home setup and working with people and eventually trying to kind of, you know, make better recordings. I started booking other spaces and eventually got a little bit uh, stuck in where I was living because it was, you know, really small population and only so many people to work with. So then eventually I moved to Toronto and it, everything just sort of clicked. I, like everyone I met were musicians and really good people. And, you know, they, they trust, they trusted me to work on, on their music and, you know, everything just kind of, I guess like snowballed from there. I mean, maybe from playing in bands and such, like it, it helped a little bit because I wasn't viewed as much as like a, like a bad guy or anything. I was just like more of like a peer um, that could also do this other thing. So yeah, I, eventually the more I, I started getting a little bit more consistent work and started freelancing out of a studio. And the owner of the studio told me that they were, we were going to lose the space and asked me if I wanted to go in on a new space. And so we built our uh, studio candle in 2000. Well, okay, okay, this would have been, <laughs> my math is really bad. This would have been 2012, I think we built it. And then, yeah, just been running that place since. It's sort of been like the center hub for a lot of the, the bands that I've been working with. And yeah, so I'm still currently running that space. It's, it's, it is open to the public and we do have other engineer and producers that work out of it, but it's sort of been also like my home base. So it's, it's kind of a, a, a middle ground between like a, you know, a, a slightly more private, you know, production space and, and also like, I guess, like an open facility to, to people coming in as well. And yeah, and I, I've, I still also, also do music as well on the side and play in a band and, and try to do a lot of different projects when I can. <laughs> cool. So you started off as a musician and you play a bunch of different instruments, right? 
Yeah, I'm I, I, I'm like kind of mediocre at a few different instruments. Like I started off as a drummer and I feel more confident in that instrument than any, but I don't get to play as often as I as, as I'd like to. Uh, sometimes I do get to play on people's records when they are in need of a drummer. And I kind of got into guitar as well. And I do a little bit of singing. And in and, and the last few years, I've kind of really took a big nose dive into, into synthesizers, especially modular synthesizers, and spending a lot of time with those. So, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm definitely not so much a trained musician. Like, I'm not a piano player, but, you know, as far, I can do, you know, more drumming and guitar, bass, bass stuff, and kind of wacky, fun synth sounds. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you make that transition then from being a musician to a recording engineer? Was that something that you kind of always intended to do or was it something out of a necessity? I mean, it was, it was I guess a lot of it was probably in relation to uh, a bit of pressure from like my parents uh, because I, I kind of knew at an early-ish age, like I would say like maybe in later high school that the like the the reality of me being a full-time musician was you know it's it's a very hard one it's like it's like someone that you know wants to be in the nhl like it's just it the chances of that happening i felt were were small and it's not something i wanted to give up completely but i kind of figured at that point in life that if i wanted to keep working in music it probably would make sense to do more behind the scenes stuff and i behind the scenes stuff and i didn't really know too much of what the behind the scenes stuff would be but i knew i wanted to be involved in some way so if i could kind of like meld those two things together i mean that sounded pretty ideal so my folks had found uh the program that we went to music industry arts and i applied but i didn't get in uh, so I ended up going to like the local college for a couple of years. And then eventually I did get into the music in- industry arts program. And I mean, that was good for me because it was a little bit of everything, you know, like we, it wasn't just specific to, you know, producing or recording or like it was a little bit of everything. So that was a nice way to sort of like open my eyes to like the different possible careers that someone could go into. And then I guess I had an opportunity to record a band in school and I sort of approached them and brought them into like the school's studio and we recorded all live off the floor. And uh, I had a bunch of like friends helping me. I don't know if you were one of those people. I can't remember. I think you and I worked on a couple projects together. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I guess like setting up a band in a room and like, you know, just not really having really much idea what I was doing, but getting it to work and actually like come through the speakers was definitely one of those like Eureka moments. Like it definitely was like, oh, wow. Like you kind of, you definitely had this sort of like, I'm trying to think it, it, it was a pretty powerful feeling because, you know, obviously the band is creating all the music and everything, but you're just having, being that person to like be able to translate it through the speakers was like a very, yeah, it was a kind of a powerful feeling. So as soon as the, I did that, I kind of felt like a pretty big rush from that. And so um, while I was still in school and like in the summertime when I'd come home and after I was done, I started recording a lot of uh, people at home with like a very, you know, a way more cheaper, minimal setup and just sort of kept building it from there and would charge a band like $100 for a record and then 
take that hundred dollars and buy like a 57 and then you know the next thing i charge maybe 200 dollars, and then i buy like a d112 <laughs> and then you know and so on and so on <laughs> i think that's how so many of us get started it's like your, yeah. your income basically goes right back into gear that's, yeah that's I mean, how you build your studio yeah you have to like i mean it's an it was an interesting transition when i fully was just like okay this is now my full-time job so like you definitely look at things a little bit differently when i was like in my parents' place, I wasn't paying rent. I was, I had other jobs that was, was giving me money, but the, any money I would ever get from recording, I would just put back into it. Like you, I think you do have to kind of really just treat it as like a, a really passionate hobby at first, um, and slowly kind of grow it. Um, but yeah, cause it's, it, it is interesting. Like as soon as we, you know, you, once you start paying rent on a place and have to buy a lot of stuff and, you you're hoping that you know you're going to be able to pay rent every month you start looking at things like gear and all those things quite differently you're like well i don't need that an extra mic like i need to pay rent like let's just like make music and like you know and then you start and it's really good because i got within like the first couple years of running a studio i got way less picky when it came to um like things like equipment and stuff like that it's like well i have a, a a room that sounds good and you know like i have my basic needs here and i really don't you know this 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 compressor that's like three grand like doesn't it's not going to really change the way this record sounds that much you know like you just start like thinking a little bit more outside the box and like using the stuff that you have and like it, i think that was a really good lesson for me and and over the last few years, I find that I'm buying a lot less like pro audio gear and a lot more just like instruments and things that can kind of do more interesting, unique stuff, I guess. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, I, I always say that, like, my clients generally don't care about the gear I'm using. It's no, like they my, just want to hear it sound good, you know? Yeah. The only people that care are the people that come in that maybe are a bit like uh, home studio ner like nerds themselves. Like they're just kind of like, oh, like oh, you got a distressor, like oh, an SM7. I've heard that's like a lot of people use that mic, and it's not even that they're questioning it in a bad way or being like, oh, you use this, or like they're just they're really curious. So uh, sometimes it's funny, like. <laughs> it makes me feel better sometimes when I'm doing a session and they're like, Oh wow. Like that sounds really cool. What are you using? And if I was just like, Oh, I'm using a $7,000 mic and like a $10,000 compressor. They're like, Oh, okay, cool. That's probably what's doing it. But when I'm like, it's a 57 through like the board <laughs> preamp and you know, I'm EQing it to sound like that. Or I'm like, running it through this effect to get that effect or just using my ears to like make it sit really well. They're just like, Oh, cool. Like I like that kind of makes me feel a bit better, you know, like whether <laughs> it doesn't matter, but yeah, there, there is something, I guess, of like a perceived quality level when something's expensive and you tell a client like, yeah, I'm running it through this $10,000 chain, but totally at the same and time too, you can say that about like a 57. It's like most yeah. of the, the biggest records that we listen to that have been recorded in these multi-million dollar studios 57 yeah. is usually what's used on guitars or snares or something like that, right? It's like yeah, not so. like that needs to have like a million dollar mic on the snare, right? Like, <laughs> I it's it's tough because you know in some ways there's some times where I almost like this would have maybe have been the best decision, but there are times where sometimes I'm like 
I would almost want to make the studio a little bit more private because the last thing that I, I hate, like the thing I hate doing the most is like maybe somebody that isn't really familiar with the space or my work and just sort of wanting to come in and like really kind of just judge the studio as a, a space, I guess. And that does happen. Like we've had bands just um, use the, the studio and bring in their own producer. Um, but I guess we generally will get more positive um, feedback on like, wow, this is really like a great vibe. Like where you feel comfortable making music here. Like I, I get more excited about that. I hate having to like maybe um, sort of like shop the studio to somebody like a producer or like a, a, a bigger band. And they're just like, okay, well what, like what's your mics and like, what's your compressors. And it's like, cause I, I just, again, I don't think that stuff really matters. I get if you're kind of like selling this, just the space, it makes a, a bit more sense. But for me, it's kind of just like, do you want to work with me? Like, do you want to work in this space? Like, th does this feel good to you sort of thing? Because at the end of the day, like you would never know what I'm running your vocal through or, or your, as long as like we're the, the result is, is good and we're happy, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I guess because your studio is open to other producers and stuff like that, do you feel an obligation as a studio owner to like, kind of cater to that upper end of gear that people yeah. kind of expect or it's, it's a tough one because I mean, you know, the only, if I, if I could choose, I would probably just use the space myself, but at the same time, I do like the idea of other people doing cool work in there. Like if someone's like, yeah, I want to do this record here and be like, Whoa, that's really great. Like that's, I like that band. I like your work. Like why, like why not? You know? And sometimes when it has been those situations where it's maybe a bigger budget and like a bigger band, you know, I'll try to do what I can to accommodate. Like I'll, I'll say like, look, like this is sort of the level of what the space is at as far as like gear and, and this and that I'll, I'm really, I'll be really honest about it and be like, you know, if you're used to a space like this, like you, you might be a little bit disappointed in like how many mics I have or how many compressors I have and if you yeah. did need some of that stuff like there are a lot of different places that you can rent that stuff from so there's been a couple bigger records where we you know I took the initiative and just kind of like went and tried to find a few extra pieces just to make that person feel a little bit like okay cool they have an LA2A like cool like I, I feel safe about that because I get I know what it is like to go into another studio and be like okay what mic is that or like what pre's are those like you know and you're just kind of getting the the info from the person's like yeah they're like these kind of things like when you have some sort of wackier pieces that you're totally fine with and think are great and you know you go into another space and they're it's like yeah it's like this 1176 clone diy hybrid thing and you're just like that's cool but like i don't know what that does or like how that sounds like i don't really want to just start using that if i'm only here for like a few days sort of thing so i would say for the amount of outside engineers it's a totally easy space to like work in and like learn how to use but when it comes to like maybe requesting a lot i have to find that balance of being like you know if if you really like the space but it's just more like the gear that needs to come up a little bit i can try to do what i can to like get some things in ask a few favors basically but then if it's if it's getting to the point where they're not really that stoked on it in general then like i would say at that point i'd just be like okay well like you can book another studio <laughs> you know like it's like this 
is this price because of this? And like, you know, there's a lot of great things that happen here and it's, you know, it's for reasons other than, than, than just cures. So, um, but so far it's been great. Yeah. Like I had, we had a bigger producer from LA come in and we just had to, we had to find him a couple extra pieces other than that. Like they really enjoyed the space and, you know, it's ultimately like some bands just walk in and they're like, this feels great. Like this feels comfortable. Like I feel like I'm at home and I can just make music. So, you know, that, and if, and if they don't feel that, then like, then it's probably just not the really the right fit. Yeah. So when you were creating your space, then did you create it with the idea in mind that other people would rent it? Or was it kind of just like, you were going to make it your shop and what made you feel comfortable? My partner and I, this was like the one sort of, um, boo-boo that I think my studio partner and I, um, had, had made, well, I mean, when you're building a space, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, but the one sort of thing that I don't think we communicated to each other enough was how much he was hoping that other people were going to use the space. Whereas I kind of thought it was just going to be for him and I, I hadn't even really had the idea that other people might want to use it. Like I thought, Oh, that could be cool, but we're not going to cater to that too much. Like, well, if they want to come in and use the space the way it is, like that's, that's cool. So that's, that was something that I had to kind of like, I guess, adjust to because we just build the space in the idea of like, this is kind of how I would do it, at least at the time, like, you know, best way we could have thought about it and, and for the best use of the space. So, yeah, so that was, that was an interesting thing. Like when we first opened having more people being like, yeah, I just want to come in and use your space. It definitely was something that caught me off guard a little bit, whereas I was more so just building it out of taste. And I think my taste lends itself closer to what a lot of bands tastes are, you know, like I, I, it wasn't like I really like a certain other kind of studio, but I was like, Oh, this will be the one for the bands. Like it was just kind of like, this is what I like. And this is like the, the, the vibe. And I think because I'm a musician as well. And because I'm like, all my friends are musicians. Like it's just a, it's a very natural thing, you know? Um, whereas I think some studios get built by people that don't aren't involved in music and you, you know, musicians can tell that they can vibe that and be like, well, yeah, cool. Like it sounds good in here, but like I, that fucking like leopard skin rug is really throwing me off or something. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, you know, or like this giant painting of Rob Zombie might, might, might not be my thing. <laughs> so I think it was, I think it was just like kind of more of a, a, a natural thing, but while we were building it, we definitely were like, okay, like if I was playing drums right now, if I was playing guitar, if I was doing this, like, I feel like this would be my zone and like, I'd probably want to do this. And, I was constantly um, having to think about that stuff while we were building because um, initially uh, Leon, my studio partner, was um, was a lot better at the construction side of things. So I was more of a laborer, like you know, he would map out a lot of stuff. So I and and it was my job. To, okay, so we're gonna put this drywall here. We're gonna cut this here. But at the same time, because I didn't have to focus too much on the math and the um, like the real solid blueprints of stuff, I was able to be the outsider a little bit and be like, oh, wait, you want to do this? Like, but if we do this, what is this person going to do? Or like, how is this person going to get through here when we're doing overdubs? Or like, so there's a lot of, like, as we were building, it just changed like a lot, of, like every day. The initial plans for the studio um, were completely different. Like we 
we're originally going to do our control room and live room in this uh, on the bottom floor and then we were going to try to build like a little editing room and a booth and then that it all changed basically we swapped the control room to go upstairs and have more space for the live room and yeah so it, it literally kind of just kept changing as we but it was definitely always in the back of our heads like okay what would make sense if i was playing in this studio right now and you can't just like tell people like no like like you can, like you, you have limits, but like it can be hard to be like, no, you can't do that. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's like super important. Something that a lot of people overlook, which is just like, what, what's going to make people comfortable? Cause if they're not comfortable and they feel like they're in this like super expensive uptight studio, then you're, they're going to play weird. They're going to think weird, you know, like it's. Yeah. If you feel like you can't even just put your coffee down somewhere like that can, yeah, I think that could definitely seep into your brain a little bit and be like, Ooh, like we can't get loose, you know, we can't just loosen up and like, you know, actually get into the zone that we would in our jam space or like when we're creating at home and stuff. Yeah. Because vibe is such a big thing for you. Are you doing a lot of live off the floor recordings or do you still track everything out individually or? Um, I feel like when we first opened, I was really falling in love with doing as much live as possible because I never really had that opportunity very often. Like when you're in a smaller space, you just can't really do that. So once you do have a space that you can, it's like, why not just do this? And it, it would save a lot of time too. But, you know, it's inevitable that the more you do something, you start, sort of step up your game a little bit and you start kind of like wanting to get a little bit more picky with stuff. So I found that when I was really like, as like the stakes get higher sort of thing, like you're like, well, you know, a lot of, there are people that are wanting to hear this record and it's like, yes, we could have done the bass or like we could have done this guitar at the same time, maybe, but like it wouldn't have been maybe as good of a tone if we did it after. So I do find more and more that I'm starting to enjoy just starting from scratch. And I do think that you do, lose a little bit of a, of a vibe there but i really think it's kind of like project dependent um if i'm going for something where i want it to be like you know um very much layered and built and sculpted then i just have to make that decision and be like look like we have to just start with the drums and just get those perfect and then move on but if i'm recording like a, a record i did recently this band casper skulls like they would be more in the vein of like Sonic Youth and Pavement and these these bands that are just like very unaffected, very like not heavily overdubbed, just really raw and just really real. And I've seen them live and it's like, I need to capture this live. So we tried to do that record as live as possible. We did all the drums, bass, and a lot of guitars live. We ended up having to redo uh, uh, a good portion of guitars for the, at least like the leads and stuff. Cause I find that if you're, if you're in a studio and you're tracking beds and you're not getting like the lead guitar sounding right, but like the bass is happening, the drums are happening, the rhythm guitar is happening. It's like, okay, let's, all right. You know, this would be not the best idea to like be, um, there was times where we were taking way too much time in between songs, trying to hone in on like a lead guitar tone uh, when, you know, the bass player and drummer and other guitar player are like kind of rearing to go. So you have to kind of make those decisions and, and see what makes sense. But I really try to, I'm, I'm really trying to treat each project with its own specific needs. And so if, if a band really excels um, at the live thing and 
it would sound weird to like do everything to a click track or like kind of really like piece it together a little bit more then I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that that being said there are some bands that sort of do a certain thing in the studio and then do a certain thing live and we just have to make those decisions I, I, I guess as time goes on I try to get more and more involved in like asking the bands like hey what do you want this is what I think and you know what do you think about that and a lot of times they're usually like okay yeah that makes sense but I just I hate being in a situation where you think you, you've hashed stuff out with a band and then halfway through the record they're like no we want it to be totally like this and you're just like okay but that's not what we talked about and like you know I just I've been in that situation a couple of times and it's it kind of sucks because you're you're already in the middle of it and you have to start making some pretty drastic decisions like right in the middle of like overdubbing or bed tracks and so i like to like really kind of you know talk to the band beforehand if i can and and even like share some references back and forth so that you're on the same page because sometimes people have you know they'll say like yeah like really raw and they'll send you this record and you're like oh that's not a raw sounding record like that's a pretty polished record in my ears like that's not that raw okay so you this is your definition of raw okay cool that's where i know that like we shouldn't go too more loose, looser than that, or, you know, uh, or whatever, like the, the opposite. But, um, yeah. So I think like, it's just like communicate communication is like a big one because it's, yeah, it sucks kind of like sitting there when you really should be getting some like pretty productive work done and you're just, everyone's just not on the same page. <laughs> so it sounds like pre-production is a really big deal for you then. I try, I mean, it's tough because I, I, unfortunately, um, I can get so busy sometimes that like, as soon as I'm done one project, I'm like in another one. And I find that's a big struggle. It's like, you know, when you, when you get consumed in the studio, you don't have a lot of time to like start answering emails or like listening to demos. And so I, my, my biggest thing right now is like trying to give myself enough space in between projects so that I do have that time. But it's tough because budgets are not what they used to be. And sometimes it's like, well, okay, we're only doing two days. Like I can't spend you know, two hours a day for 10 days talking to you about this, like these two songs, you know, it can, it can be, it can be tough. Cause like that is not a lot of money, you know, it's, it's, it's the perfect scenario is obviously like having more time to be involved and like having a bigger budget so that, you know, you're not, because what I, I find I have to do a lot is like, I'll make a record for somebody and it'll be something that you end up putting a lot of extra hours in and you will hopefully get paid okay but generally you're working on it for a while maybe you're not getting paid till the end of it so you have to kind of do some some smaller projects in between and some of those smaller projects like you are putting work into but it's like it's only a day or two so you can only put so much time beforehand before that one two day of recording you know <laughs> so that's that's a that is definitely a big a big struggle and i do i do like making decisions in the studio and I do ask questions. Like sometimes we'll be working on something and I'll just be like, look, just so you know, that guitar sound that you have right now, it's very like country sounding. Do you want that? Like, just so you, like, you know, I, I try to be a very like music fan in, as much as possible and just be like, just so you know, like if you do deliver the vocal like this, I think that people will perceive it a little bit like that. If that's cool and that's what you want to go for, like by all means, but I just need to be like, the sort of like devil's advocate here and just just letting you know that when we first talked about this project you said you wanted to stray away from like you know the 70s or something and like 
putting that sort of bass sound is very 70s, like just so you know. And then sometimes be like, okay, well, that's okay. Like the bass can sound 70s. It's more the other stuff. It's like, okay, cool. Just want to let you know. Uh, or it might be like, okay, I'm glad you you said that because that's not what I want. So there are some times where it's, yeah, it's, it's work. Like it is literally, yeah. it's not all like just easy going every time. <laughs> You're going to hit those moments where it's, you know, you have to figure out where to take something. <laughs> so then it sounds like, I mean, you obviously are communicating with a band and trying to help them with their tones, but like, how do you see your role as a producer when you're working on an album? Like what do you get involved in the songwriting side of things or do you often leave it up to the band to kind of just figure out their own stuff or how involved do you like to get? Um, I would say that I'm not a crazy heavy handed producer when it comes to like arrangement and songwriting. I feel that I get more involved in as a producer when the songs don't really have a lot figured out. Like, um, I, like if, if, if I was working with like a singer songwriter that has like this, you know, kind of rough idea of a song, like they have a chorus and they have maybe a bit of a verse, don't have a bridge, you know, like that to me is like more of an open door for me to be like, okay, cool. Like, you know, were you thinking guitars? Were you thinking like more keyboards or like, he's like, I don't know. Like, it's like, okay, cool. Like I think when I, when I'm more presented those, um, those situations, it makes more sense to get a lot more involved and try to help a little bit more with like the structure and like what instruments could sound cool uh, going on and maybe a little bit of like lyric um, help or something like that. Um, but if I'm recording a band that, oh, I'll, I'll use this this band again as an example, Casper Skulls, like they've sort of locked in this whole record from start to finish already. You know, it's like they go up and it's like these very intricate tunings. Like I, I wouldn't even be able to tell them like, oh, you should go to this chord here because I don't even know what tuning they're using <laughs> in the guitar. Or like, you know, the bass player might have a really distinct part. Um, you know, uh, with those bands, I think I have the, the better thing to do is to stay more hands off and not like uh, fuck it up too much. You know, I'm sorry. I don't know if I can swear. Yeah, go for it. Um, but um, <clears throat> it's one thing about not working in a work in a normal workplace is you, to, you know, just do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's like with that band, it's like, no, like what my job as a producer should be just like the only real heavy handed thing I should be doing here is finding out or figuring out how it should sound and like keeping that as the goal, not being like, no, like this has to be like more of this, this has to be more of this because, you know, and it's funny because sometimes when you are getting more involved in producing, some of those decisions can be, um, they can be a lot of different things um, and they can be different you can be gearing towards different uh, outcomes. Like uh, one band, you know, might be like, no, like this needs to be weirder or this, like, I want, I don't want this. Like if this is too hooky, that's bad. And there's some bands it's like, you might think that it is the appropriate thing to sort of push it in a more accessible atmosphere. And they might be down for that. And there are some bands where I've, I've sort of snuck that mentality a little bit, like, you know, like, more like more uh, bands that, that I've worked with that come from a slightly more, you know, they're, they're raw, but there is that pop uh, background, like bands like Dirty Nil and like um, Dilly Dally. It's like, those were some bands where I feel like I had to sort of sneak the aspect of like, yeah, that would be really good if we went for that kind of line, you know? And I, in my head, I'm like, 
this would appeal to more people. And I think that is good. And there are some bands where like my band, for example, has um, no, we're not really thinking about like, Oh, would this be on the radio? Or like, could this be a thing? Like I, I, I've come come to the point where it's a bit more niche and we just want to make the music we want to make. And I think a lot of bands do as well, but I guess the difference is that some of these bands, like they, the, the goal is that they can make a career out of this and they can actually just go out on tour and play a lot of the year. And like, you know, for my, for my band, we are not a band that are very interested in like going on tour all year. We just want to make a record we're happy with and then, you know, go and present it. So I feel like the stakes are a little bit lower. And if you're working with a band that should be kind of at that next level, then I'll push for that. Um, but if it's a band that aren't going for that, I will produce it more towards that. And it's like, okay, well, this will appeal to just like people that are into goth music and we should really like, that's not very goth <laughs> to do that thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot of bands I think that are in that kind of in between stage where they, they definitely want to be big and tour yeah. and like be on the radio and all that kind of stuff. But yet they're, they're also of that mindset of like, we're really unique and like, this is our sound. And, and like, so they might be a little more resistant to hearing like, let's do this popular thing. Uh, so yeah. how do you how do you generally approach those kind of bands? I mean, it's I feel like I'm in a good position because I feel like I would consider myself somebody that you would make like your first record with. And I think that says a lot because, you know, when you think of like bands first records, it's like. I mean, depending on what we're what we're talking about, but um, sometimes that can mean that, like, you know, the, the the initial raw sound is still there, but like it's sort of becoming closer. You know, it's like I I like not necessarily being the producer that is like this has to just be all hits. You know, like I I think that where I'm at and for the type of music I like and what what I'm kind of about. I don't know if I'll really go to that level and I don't know if I really want to. So it's kind of a nice thing because I'm working with bands that it's like, okay, now you've done like some EPs and some singles and people know your band and you have fans now. It's like, now you have to make a record. And I feel good about those kind of records because there is some expectation, but it's not like I'm making the next like Kendrick Lamar record or something. There's not like millions of people expectation. Like, I don't know if I would, um, that would be a tough thing if I think if you were working with people at that level and like there'd be so much at stake and like so many like people behind the scenes, like managers and label people. And right now it's like, okay, yeah, I'm working with this band. They do have a label, they do have a manager, but it's like, we're talking a lot more, you know, smaller stakes. Not that celebrity status. Level. Yeah. So, but it's fun. I, I, I get pretty excited working with bands that have like nothing, like there's no label, there's no booking agent, no manager, because really you can kind of do whatever you want because there's nothing to really, you know, there's nobody to be like, Oh really? Like that's what we're getting or like, that's what we're going for here. It's like, you're kind of starting from scratch and if it goes well, it's like such a great, it's such a great thing. But even when I am working with a, a band that, you know, is on a small label, there's a still a little bit like, okay, I know, they're hoping that it will at least have like one or two of these songs that we can kind of push. And so I try to, I try to accommodate that to uh, without like losing things too much. Um, Cause when I was a kid, you know, I always loved bands like first, 
you know, one, two, three records. I, I feel like a lot of bands, once they get to that really next level, it does become a lot of just like money making decisions. And some of those bands are able to really produce some great pop records and like everyone loves it. And it's great, but there's a lot that just kind of do it just to do that. And it really fails. And that's brutal. Like I, I feel really bad for a band that is just going for the money and they don't even actually like really get known or, or like it, it doesn't really project or advance them in any way. It doesn't necessarily like push things any forward and then they lose even like the fans that they have. So it's a, it's a tough one. Um, but yeah, so I think it's just like finding that middle ground of like not like changing what's good and just finding that little bit of 10% of like lift, like, you know, and I think because I'm, if I'm going to say yes to a recording, if I'm a fan of the band, I have to like, remember like, you know, how would I perceive this as a fan? But if it's something, somebody that doesn't have a good idea of what they want to do and they need a lot of input, then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to put in that extra work that it needs. And I feel that some of the bigger bands I've worked with, I, I take a less more like a more backseat role because I don't want to screw it up too, too much. <laughs> so in your opinion, then what makes a good song? For me, it's like um, all it really takes for me is just something interesting to like drive the listener. And like that doesn't necessarily have to be a chorus or a verse. It doesn't even have to necessarily be the vocal. It could be like one sound. Um, and I think that's the fun thing in, in the studio is when you find that eureka moment that sort of like really sort of draws the listener. And I think for when I am more so producing or when I am mixing, those are two things. Like sometimes my mixing work and my producing work kind of melds together a little bit. Like I sometimes in the mixing stage, I'll, make a lot of those producing state uh, decisions like you know what now that we've like tracked everything and I'm hearing it with all the overdubs and all this stuff all the vocals everything's in there this chorus is way too long like let's cut that and that's that's one advantage of doing things like click and, and stuff like that but um, I find I do end up making a lot of those decisions with the band as we're kind of getting to the final stages like you know you start working on something and then you go back to the start of the song you're like oh right like this intro thing we did, like, is that how we really want this song to start? Like maybe we should cut this and have, or maybe this is coming into abruptly. And I think the closer things get, you start to kind of feel like hearing the big picture. And I will make a lot of those, um, those decisions then basically, I think really for me, it's like, there's just something that can really draw the listener in. And that can be a, a, a voice that could be, an instrument um and i think when i'm mixing something from scratch uh that's generally what i'll try to listen for um you know i i'll tend to just kind of throw everything at zero and just kind of hear like what are the most important elements of this song right now like because that's you you don't want to forget about those <laughs> for sure so what's a common mistake that you see a lot of artists making before they enter the studio then it's, you know, it's tough. Like, I think it's finding that perfect balance because I think some artists maybe overthink things before they go into the studio. Like, they plan everything out to a T. And then, and I just don't think that you can do that because you never know, like, if, you know, the snare sound we get is like slightly different or like the, the way the vocal sits. You know, it's, you can't necessarily just know exactly how it's all going to go down. And I have worked with some bands that I think, 
because they have a lot of time to think about that stuff, they overthink things a little bit before they come in and they don't let some stuff just be in, in the way it is. You know, it's, you can't necessarily just like sculpt something exactly the way someone has it in their head. You know, you have to let a little bit of things just, just happen. And so many good records and so many good artists, like they just went in and they, they sort of did their thing and, and, and people follow that after the fact. Um, and then on the other hand, like, I think there are some bands that come in without enough prepared and then they're kind of relying a lot on you to sort of like make it kind of all, all work. I think finding that for, for me, finding that healthy balance is, is really key. Like having sort of like a, a pretty strong idea beforehand, but not necessarily being like, this is the way it has to be. And like giving the producer or engineer some leeway and some space to like help I think is like a really important thing for me it's kind of like if a band can sort of be like 75 percent ish like 60 to 75 percent you know figured out when they're coming in the studio but then they're also giving you a little bit of that space just to be like okay you know like the general songs here but like I haven't quite figured out what like this guitar riff is going to be like okay cool like I would love to help you with that and like I'm totally down and I, I do think for me personally I tend to really lend my skills more for like sounds than a lot of like parts. Like if I'm working with a band that is playing guitar in a very specific style that I could never play, it would be hard for me just to be like, I'm going to help you write something. But if they start playing me something, I can definitely say like, Oh, right there, like where you're kind of in that pocket on like the neck and like, those notes, that sort of like scale area and that tone, that's great. But I think it, you know, um, but if you have like kind of no idea, that is a tough thing for me just to be like, oh, we'll just make something. Like you need, you need to have a good starting point, I think. So finding that sort of balance is like kind of important for me. But there's some producers that might want the artist to only have like a 10% idea and they can just kind of do everything. And then other people would rather not be involved at all and just have the band have all that decision-making. For me, it's kind of like a 60, 70 band and a <laughs> 25, 30 me. <laughs> Fair enough. So let's shift gears a little bit towards mixing then. Cause I know you were talking about kind of creating sounds and, and uh, getting all those kind of characteristics. So what's your general mindset when you start a mix? Like, how do you usually start? Where do you normally start? I guess it depends if I am producing and recording something versus if someone's just sending me a mix. I do tend to, like, I definitely find that, like, if someone is just sending me a mix from scratch, it is a pretty cool feeling because you could take it anywhere. So there are some mixes where I'm just getting some raw files and I've taken this really raw bare thing and turned it into something pretty like a lot more interesting or elaborate, but it's, it's hard sometimes because when you do that, the band can be caught really off guard. So sometimes when you do that, the band is kind of like, Oh really? Like that's where you took things. Like we were kind of thinking this and it's, I find that can be really difficult where a lot of things that I do mix I try to do while I'm working with the artist. I'm definitely more of the mindset of like a mix as you go person. If I am the one that has been working on it uh, from the start. And I do find that like, you know, there are a lot, a lot of records that I'll work on where it's like, okay, I've just spent seven, eight days doing nonstop tracking, like, like, you know, guitar overdub after guitar overdub, synth overdub, like, 
And at the end of the, the record, like, if I'm going to mix this, I need like a month before I ever really hear it again. There's just so much to go through. So there's a lot of records that I'll do where myself and the band are more interested in the idea of just having someone else mix those. And, you know, I'm, I mixed a solo artist recently where it's like, you know, they kind of did it more themselves and it sounded okay. And the label were kind of like, it's good, but like, do you think you can maybe get someone to like refine these mixes a little bit? Like it's a little flat. It's a little like, even the label is kind of like, I like it, but I think this could be mixed better. And he brought it to me and I think we like took it from like a, you know, like a, a five to like a nine, you know, like it, it, and I think if you're starting from scratch with somebody and you have a good idea of where they're coming from, you can definitely really lift things. But when I'm already working with somebody, I really try to think of the mix as we're tracking, you know, I start adding plugins. I start adding a lot of stuff so that <clears throat> by the end of the, the tracking process, it's kind of like 80% mixed. You know, we sit with it for a little bit and think about it and like, yeah, like the drums are great. Like I wouldn't change the drum sound. I wouldn't change the bass sound. And then if, if those things do like not feel right after listening back, then we, we can obviously change those things. But I'm always kind of trying to like make it like for every overdub we're doing, like is this working for the mix, you know? I hate getting to a point where you're just – layering a bunch of stuff and you have no idea like is this even gonna work you know if you're if you're doing that more for someone else to mix i can understand and i've been in that situation this month where we just layer a lot of ideas and someone else will be mixing it so here you go like if, they, if the band and the, the the mixer wants all these options like that's great but if i'm mixing it like if this guitar this synth or this vocal is gonna come on here like we should know right now if it's kind of gonna work you know it's are we burying it so far down that it's like not even going to be on there? Let's, let's like, like, let's not do that. You know? So I, I definitely think about it as a puzzle. Um, and you're just kind of like layering and layering and, and, and once something doesn't feel right, like it maybe isn't going to, going to work. And I do find that if I can focus more time on a song, I think the mix process becomes easier and easier. I find if I'm doing a whole record, where you're just like spending like three days of guitar tracking, that's when the mix process just becomes a long haul. But if I'm working with a band that are like, hey, we want to come in and do one song in one day, usually when that happens, by the end of the day, the song sounds killer. Like there's just not a lot of mixing to do because you're you're using that approach of just like building it and like you're not thinking about, oh, but this guitar sound's not going to work for that. It's like, doesn't matter. Like we're just focusing on the song. So like in an ideal situation... I would love to do a record where we just do like a song a day. That to me would be like the perfect way to do it. For some bands I've worked with, maybe that wouldn't be the best call, but it's a great way just to make sure that like every decision we made, we made it for this song. We're not like um, compromising and being like, well, yeah, but I think like this is a good general tone for the guitars for the whole record or the, the drums. It's like maybe the next song, like, we'll use a completely different drum kit. Like maybe these drums don't need to sound that big. Like let's use a smaller kit or like maybe we don't need room mics. Let's do a drier drum sound. And so I think if you could focus like per song, that would be incredible. Yeah. You had mentioned earlier that when you're mixing, sometimes you'll make these like really creative moves that sometimes the band will be like, whoa, like what'd you do with that? Yeah. How do you generally approach those kind of things? Is it something that now that you've gone through that a couple of times and you've had bands that are kind of a little 
weary of like do you typically like ask the band before that or do you just you just do your work and then say here's what i did if you don't like I, it i'll fix I it try, well i mean i try to i think the most important thing is to do it while they're there i think that like when you do a bunch of weird creative moves without them there they just they're just hearing it from like face value and there's some pros to that but i think when you make those decisions with the band beside you they're a part of it even if like even if they're not the ones that necessarily like turn the dial to make you know some effect do a certain thing like i think if they're there while you're doing it if their reaction is like whoa that's awesome it's like cool yeah all right i'm gonna well, it's there, you know, and I try to be humble about it and just be like, you know, if you don't like it, it's cool. Um, but if I do something and they're just like, I don't know, it's like, it can be a little bit of a personal thing. Cause it's like, it's like someone bringing me a song and I'm kind of like, I don't know about that, that, like that riff, man, <laughs> like, you know, and it's like, it's, it can be a little bit hard cause it is something that you have done and are presented. But if they're just like not into it, it's like, okay, I get, I get it. Like, maybe they're not going to be into any of this kind of stuff. And sometimes that can be a bummer because maybe you did kind of think like, Oh, this is going to be like a lot of these kind of things and they're not even into it at all. So I guess I have to like, sort of like pull back. And I think the classic thing is you do something and the band gets a little freaked out and you get a little offended and you're kind of like, okay, well, I guess I just won't do any of this. And they're like, Oh no, 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 it's okay. Like we're not saying that, we're just maybe that's not the right thing. So there's times where I'll get like, a little bit like sensitive for like five minutes and we pull the brakes and it's like actually no it's like maybe that just wasn't like exactly you know i push things a little bit too far here and i'd usually just try to tell people that when i'm maybe doing some like kind of creative affected sort of things like you know i'm listening to those things really loud so i can hear what's going on and then i'll pull things back um so i think for me like when it comes to like mixing and sort of putting a, a sort of like a creative stamp on anything. I think having the band right there with you is the most important thing for me because when they're not there, they can just kind of be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> but if they're a part of it, it's like being in the band. It's like, yeah, like we did this together and like we all are for it, you know? And, and if we're not, we're not. So the more I mix and, do those sort of like fun creative things. I try to have them there. I think it makes a lot more sense than to me, just do a bunch of wacky shit and go down some sort of rabbit hole and they don't even like it, you know? Yeah. And so you prefer having the band there like whenever you mix. Yeah. I think, um, <clears throat> for a whole record, sometimes it's good to go in a little bit on your own and like, you know, sort through some, like, if you're still doing more like editing stuff, like you're sorting through some guitar lines or some vocal takes and, you know, you're starting from like, very much scratch like you're literally eqing a kick drum or something you know i'll go in for like a day beforehand or something like that but once i got something fairly rough going i like i like the band there because i don't want to go too deep because you know the band could be like i don't like the kick drum it's like okay well maybe i should have just had you here the whole time because like that's the first thing i started with and like you don't even like that so we should it's as time goes on like bands are very much they'll surprise you like you'll think they might get a little bit too communicative right off the bat but i'll, I'll tell them i'll just like you know just so you know like right now what i'm doing is preliminary stuff so just just you know hang out hang out on the couch and do your thing but like i'll let you know when i'm starting to like make some like real real decisions here and i'll see what you think and 
it's been it's been fine. Like it, it has been pretty good. The only thing that gets annoying sometimes is like if I have a band in too early in the too early stages, they might get a little bit bored and might start talking a bit, and you have to be like, uh, you know, maybe go for a walk or like. <laughs> but yeah, I think again, like I try to make so many of those decisions while we're tracking that ideally like the mix stage is just refining stuff and getting it a little bit closer to where we need to get. Yeah, for sure. Well, on the topic of making those creative moves, what's something that you like to do with your mixes that other people might think you're a little crazy for? Like, do you have any like, like outrageous chains that you like to use or special effects you like to throw in? Um, yeah, I think I tend to, um, I te- it's 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 tough because I guess it depends on on the music because like for some of the stuff I do might maybe be a bit wackier for some bands than others. I mean, one thing I've been getting more into is uh, incorporating my modular synth into productions, and that thing is just like an endless you know box of wonders. Like it, it's kind of like a you never know what you're gonna get sort of scenario unless you're unless you're patching something like pretty simple, like if, if someone's like, Oh, I want a synth based sound. I mean, at this point I can go in and to my modular and, and easily patch that for them. But if, if it's more like, Oh, I'm going to run this drum loop in this bridge section through like this really crazy filter and this like granular sampler and like see what happens. Like it's definitely, um, that it's like, sometimes it can be like a really cool result that they're like, amazing like like no, no one else has that you know and and but sometimes it can be like Ugh, i really don't, <laughs> don't know about that so um that that would be like the one thing where i feel like it's a really 50 50 uh thing where people are either like really into what comes out or, or they're not and sometimes i'm not either like i don't i'm just hoping for the best sort of sort of thing um and you know and maybe in the moment they're really stoked but then come final mix, maybe it's like, ah, let's take that down a little bit more. (laughs) I feel like the one thing that I probably do that's a little bit uh, more intense than other people is I go really to town with how many channels I'm using on an overdub. So say I'm doing like a guitar, um, you know, maybe for like a pro mixer, this is not like a big thing, but for other people I talk to, they're like, yeah, like, oh, we're doing a guitar, like one mic, one amp, one sound, like, and then maybe I'll do one more. But with me, I get really intense with uh, guitar dubs. Like, I'll do <clears throat> maybe an amp or two, couple mics, maybe a room mic, and then like a DI in case, like, I want to fuck with the, the DI a little bit. Um, and then it's like, okay, cool, we got that sound down. Let's step it up and like add more distortion, add more modulation, add more of this. So when I'm doing a guitar session, again, for, for maybe like a very pro mixer, this is not too crazy, but for some people I'll end up with like 50 tracks of guitars and that might only be like two guitar parts, (laughs) but (laughs) for every track, it's like, Oh, I got this fuzz factory doing this sort of fuzz sound. I got this like chorus doing this sort of modulation thing. And so I got, because I have a lot of guitar pedals, um, I like to print a lot of that stuff and get the sound and then, you know, might even add, even more effects from the <laughs> and sometimes I'm like want to just shoot myself because I'm like why did I do this to myself like literally I'm look like I have to scroll through just like an entire mix worth of just guitar tracks and uh I know you can hide those in like say in Pro Tools in the edit but you can't hide them in the mix window like just those specific just the specific ones unless they change that I don't know um you can, but you can? yeah 
I think it's just the same thing. When you hide it in the the mix view, it should it should hide it in the uh, transport view as well. No, no. What I, uh, can you? But can you hide just uh, individual? Like, could you just hide like, oh, I have like ten tracks of guitars in the mix window. Can you actually just hide those guitars? I think you can if you do memory locations. Okay. You can you can uh, get your tracks laid out the way you want, and okay. then save it as a memory location. There's like okay. a, there's a way that uh, when you go into your memory window. There's an option that you could choose to like save the view. Okay, I gotta get into that because like it gets it gets to be a nightmare. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say like in terms of your when you get to the mixing stage then, and you have, you know, fifty tracks of guitars, how do you manage all that? Like, are you are you keeping all of that or are you just doing it as an experiment or like how, how do you blend these things and not have to deal with phasing issues and all sorts of stuff too? Yeah, I think that. Huh, I think that I end up using way too much of it than I, I should be. And I think that a lot of recordings I've done probably like have phasing issues going on. And sometimes I sacrifice that stuff to get the sound I want. You know, like I, I find it's hard because I'll put up two microphones on an amp and I'll like, you know, I'll take out one. And I'm just like, that's not the sound though. Like it really is the sound of those two mics like working together. I do that with vocals too. Like I do... Every vocal session I've done in the last two years, I use two mics on the vocal. And then I'll also malt that to maybe like, you know, a space echo or a distortion or like, so even for my vocal tracks, for every vocal, uh, you know, part, there's like four or five things going on, depending on what, what I want to do. And sometimes like the more lo-fi, the more expansive I'll get. It's like, okay, well... I'm recording this band that wants to sound like they're coming out of like the 1930s. So like I'll, I'll get a clean one, but I'll also run it through like a guitar amp and mic that. And then I'll also get like the room like 10 feet back so that there's this kind of like more haunting raw thing going on. And then I'll run it through like a spring reverb so that it gets that crunch and that little bit of like echo. And so I end up like building these like five, <laughs> six tracks for every vocal. And I do end up using all of them in the mix because it ends up being this thing where it's like, yeah, but the dry sitting like at 30% and then the, like, you know, the spring is just in there a little bit just to give that little bit of like, you know, haunting, you know, uh, thing going on. And then the other one is like creating this nice distortion that's like rounding out the vocal sound. So it doesn't sound too clean. So that's, that's, that's the problem is that, um, it does become a blend. It's like these five tracks become like this one blend. And then it's like, Oh, we want to double the vocal. All of a sudden, you have like twenty tracks <laughs> just for like two vocal parts. So why and, go about it that way in like the in the recording stage than in the mixing stage and just have like a clean vocal? Is it just because you you like go into the analog gear and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I I just think it would take so long for me to run through all of that stuff, and I, maybe I won't think about it at that point. You know, I'll get lazy and I'll just I'll just go all plugins and and for a lot of. For the, a lot of the mixing stage, I end up using mostly plugins because of just the recall. But if there's like a certain like um, uh, pedal that I have or a, or a reverb, or like a box or effect, whatever, a, mod, a modular synth module, whatever it is, like I try to get that in there because if I ran everything back through that stuff, um, it does have its advantages, but it would take forever. Sometimes people just don't book enough time for me to do that. Like, it's like, we just get the stuff recorded. And then it's like, I was like, yeah, so now I need like three days to like run all this stuff through this and that and that and get it exactly right. Um, it just would take a lot of time, I guess. And if I'm not mixing it, then they're not paying me for any extra time. So I really would have to just do it 
pro bono. And sometimes I don't mind it, but like a couple days of running, you know, tracks through a bunch of analog gear, just so you can like hope that the mixer is going to use it, you know? So if I'm mixing something, I'd rather just like get that stuff in there. And if I want, if I didn't quite get the effect right, obviously I can just still run it back through and, you know, refine it a little bit. But um, yeah, so I think because of that, a lot of my mixes, it's it's hard to be self-aware, but I think that my mixes fall somewhere in between professional-ish sounding, <laughs> but not too professional, not too polished. I think because of the approach that I do, things get a little bit messy. And I think that's good for what, for a lot of the artists that I'm working with that, you know, maybe the, the record or the material still is accessible and, and the sounds we got are really good, but there is a little bit of like sloppiness going on, not only in the band, but on what I'm doing as well. And it adds to this sort of like this feeling like you are hearing a band, you know, it's not exactly like kind of like perfect. And it's not quite like, you know, taking like a board mix where it's just like kind of like, oh, one guitar, one bit, like it becomes a little bit of this like dense layer and you're hearing the room a little bit and you're hearing like these add-ons and, and it, it doesn't necessarily make something sound like an intensely hi-fi pop record. And if anything, it kind of makes things a little bit more like all sort of work together in this sort of like, like very real or organic, um, organic way, especially if stuff like timing starts getting a little loose and you have like all these effect layers like it can really make things sound um a couple if, if there's anybody that's ever said anything about like things that i've done as far as like style they're like i think you're good at like making things sound like really big but also still dirt a bit dirty um and uh, you know so I, yeah, I i would agree with that for sure yeah like i think that the stuff that i do it doesn't sound like someone recorded it necessarily like in a tiny box, you know, it, it, it has a bigness to it, but it's also not like perfectly clean. It's, it's a little bit messy. And I think because I work with a lot of guitar based bands, I kind of think that that music should definitely not sound too perfect. <laughs> it's like, I think it should have a little bit of that edge. Um, and a lot of it, you know, could be the room and, and, um, but I think a lot of it is just like the way I approach layering and, and kind of getting a little bit like, going a little bit overboard, I think helps create a little bit of that like messiness and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's like, it's just, that's what happens. <laughs> oh, it's very cool. Like I, I think there's a lot to be said for committing in the tracking stage and, and sure. trying to get your tones up, right. Like get them right at the source. And, and uh, it's one thing that I've always admired about your mixes as well, that they're not like these ultra polished, you know, yeah. super pop songs sound like, yeah. you know, Crystal Red Alge type of mix. Totally. They always have like a, this perfect blend of polish meets like lo-fi kind of For stuff sure. as well, yeah. which I really, which I think is really cool. And, you know, it, I think that's a harder thing to achieve than most people think, mm. you know, it's, if you, if yeah. you, if you don't spend the time getting those sources or getting things right at the source and messing around with a lot of those effects and all that kind of stuff, like it's easy to just take your mix one way or another. So yeah, for sure. Cause I mean, if I just, I do find that, um, like, again, not to like, not to sound too egotistical, but I think that if somebody else were to record, um, one of the bands I've worked with, uh, like, you know, the way they would do it, I, it would definitely come out a lot different. I think, you know, like they would <clears throat> maybe like things differently and they would like, um, it would, it would, you would definitely lend to different 
results. So I think I, in, in some ways, I feel like when I say that I'm a producer, I know that like, you know, an engineer's job is to be involved in the sounds and whatnot. But I think when you are like strictly engineering stuff, there is somebody there kind of deciding Like they, they might be like, you know, we want, no, we want this more sort of guitar sounds. Like I make those decisions as well. So it's, you know, just because I'm not necessarily writing a song's chorus, uh, start writing a band's chorus. It doesn't mean I'm not making a lot of decisions in getting it to like the way it sounds. And it's, you know, it's, I think that if someone else were to work on it, it the results would be really different, you know, whether or not the, the results would be more accessible or, or not, or if people like, but it, it definitely would be different. I think, you know, you're, you're still affecting what's going on for sure. Definitely. So how long does it normally take you to finish a mix then? When you, especially when you have 50 tracks of guitars. Yeah. Um, there's some things that I, I, it, it really kind of depends. I think, I think if, if I was in the studio, like recording or producing, if I was having a really off day, I think I could still sort of like pull through it in some way. Like maybe I wouldn't be at my best, but I think you could still get the job done essentially. But I think that when I'm having like an off day for mixing, it's kind of like back to the drawing board. It's like, you know what? We went too far and now it's like, you know, we, we, we were closer like a day ago, you know? So it, it is a really creative process. And, um, but luckily because I mix so much as I go, I really do find that like the mix stage is very quick. It's just sort of like the band will take these rough mixes home and be pretty surprised how close it is. And then they'll just have like a few notes I'll listen to it and be like, yeah, like I, it's actually pretty good. And I would say 80% of the time it's like that and it's not that difficult, but then 20% of the time it's a nightmare. It's like, we just keep not like finding that sweet spot. Um, and I'm going through that with one band right now. We finally hit it. Like, I think we did, it's only like four songs, but it's like, we started off one way and we went way too extreme. And the band was like, Oh, like it's really roomy and it's really crunchy. And I'm like, Oh yeah, but that's what we were going to do. And like, I know, but like, I don't, it doesn't really translate on a lot of speakers. I'm like, and I kind of got like a little bit like, I don't know. Maybe you're just not used to like, maybe you're a little scared, you know? And, and then I listen to it in a car. I'm like, Oh yeah, they're right. Like this is like way too far in that direction. Then pull things back a lot. And like, I think we're on like day, you know, get together like number seven for only four songs. That's a lot for me. Like that, I don't even do that many mix sessions like on a record sometimes. Like sometimes it's like a few, <laughs> like I, it's again, like um, I think that if I haven't really sort of, come close to nailing it by like, you know, by the tracking and process and going through it a couple times on my own. If it's way off, I think at that point, the band should try to mix it with somebody else because I think I'm too close to it at that point. It would be hard for me just to like put everything down and just like start over. I, I think there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's important for people to admit that or bring that up and be like, okay, if the band's reaction is not like, very excited then like maybe you should kind of back out a little bit and just be like okay well you know maybe we should think about having someone take over there's nothing wrong with that i don't think everybody should be mixing everything they produce and engineer um it's it's really nice sometimes to be able to just like 
hand, uh, handed off. Like I just did a record for my friend's band Fake Palms and it's my best friend essentially as the main person in the band and him and I went so deep in overdubs and by the end of the days, you know, our brains are just fried and, you know, he got it mixed by my friend Graham who plays in Holy Fuck who also mixed my band Belize's new record and I was ecstatic. I was like, yes, please, because if I was mixing this, I would need a month before I can really like shift through, uh, sniff, what's the word, like uh, sniff, through, sniff it. through it, like go through everything and try to get some um, perspective, perspective, fresh, fresh perspective, you know? Um, so yeah, I think, I think for me, if I haven't really quite gotten it there by the, by, by those initial stages, then that might be a sign that either we need to really spend a lot of time on this and kind of go back from scratch or maybe just someone else should mix it. <laughs> So at what point do you know you're done a mix? I get it to a place where I'm happy because at the end of the day, when you start doing this full time, it is a little hard just to like take things as like a, a, a pure enjoyment level. So I think for me, I get it to a place where I can listen to it and I'm happy. And generally the bands still need that extra like 15% of like, yeah, it's, it's great. But like we really, I'll, I like until my vocal is down like this little bit, then I'll be happy. You know what I mean? Like the littlest thing sometimes, like sometimes bands reactions, when I send them a mix, they'll be like, Ooh, it's like really off. And then they'll, they'll come in and be like, yeah, so the vocal needs to come down. Like, it's like, it's so loud and I'll just bring it down a, a, like a smidge. And they're like, Oh my God, it's perfect. Like, that's it. Okay. Don't do anything else. Like, and I'm like that too. When I work with other people, like sometimes it's just these little things until those little things are adjusted. Then they're like, Oh no, now it's perfect. It's like, Oh, okay. Well, the way you described it, like I thought you hated everything. I thought you hated the, the guitar sound, the drum sound, the bass sound, the keyboards. Like you really are just kind of freaking out because the vocals are a bit too loud or like this is poking out a little bit too much. Yeah. So it's, it's good to gauge those people. And I think that's why it's good to work with people at least a couple of times and get how they work because some of the records that I've done that I'm, I'm so like extremely proud of are people that I've worked with multiple times. And we, you walk into a working groove and you, you know, when that person's just freaking out, you know, when that person really, you know, you should be listening to them and knowing that like, Oh, okay, no, no, we should do this. Like they already have in their head. It's hard to get a great working relationship one time for a few, you know, a, a few days with somebody that you don't know really well. So I think being able to work on something at least a couple times, like working relationships can really get better. And sometimes they can get worse. Sometimes you get too close. And that, that has happened a couple times where I'm working with like close friends or people I've worked with a bunch. And we've gone to the point where I'm basically like a band member and we need somebody else to come in and help us like, because I don't even know if what I'm saying is right. You know, it's like, no, no, the vocals are great. Like they're, we don't, we don't need to redo this song. It's, it is great. But if someone's like so unsure about something just because you're getting so close and you're getting so in the deep of it, you're like, maybe we do need someone to come in and, and just at least be like, no, it's great. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No. So it sounds like you basically just get it to that point where you're comfortable with it and then yeah. send it off to the band as soon as possible to get their for sure. 5% extra or whatever. I mean, one thing I will say about mixing is that I do like things to sound a little unmixed, not in the sense that it sounds too um, raw, but I do like things poking out a lot. I think bands get really scared of like, of that, like everything needs to like sit so perfect. And I think the recordings that I've done where the band 
really treats the mix like everything has to just be like even and perfect and whatever, it, the whole thing ends up sounding really bland. I think it's really cool to have like a guitar line or a vocal just all of a sudden like rip through the speakers. Like I think those are decisions that people have made like back in the seventies that like, or in the sixties even, or the eighties that people were like, Oh, I love this record. It's like, you love this record because of those things. Like the drums are too loud, you know, like the guitars are really buried, like, you know, and, and, but when you're working on your stuff, you're just like, Oh, well the guitars can't be that buried. Like everything should just be perfect, like perfectly even. And when you do that, I think it just sounds way too, way too bland and vanilla. So I think, more bands i'm always trying to push for people to be like no like just rip that effect right through the speaker like make it there like if we're going to do this really distinct thing like let's make it a distinct thing so that the artist is almost taken back by it. and maybe they're weirded out by the by it the first time they hear it and then that becomes like a staple it becomes like a trend like a year later like every band's going to want to do that <laughs> for sure so there's uh, a lot of people that are listening to this that are kind of in the earlier stages of their career, or maybe they're at that point where they're thinking of starting up their own studio or going into a full-time, that kind of stuff. So what advice would you give for someone who's at that stage and thinking about taking that next plunge? And I mean, I think that like when it comes down to a lot of this stuff, like personality plays a long way. I think that somebody who has no technical background has a better chance of working with a band if they've spent the time doing a lot of the other stuff, like, you know, my friend Shazad, he's produced a bunch of stuff that I've worked on and he doesn't have like a huge technical background, but people have asked him produce because he's very involved in the music community. He has a really good ear. He sort of knows like kind of how to get there and just needs a little bit of like the technical help to help him get there. Um, he's looking out as like a big, brother sort of peer uh, for some of these bands. And it's kind of like, I think that in some ways, just because someone knows how to run, run Pro Tools or knows how to use some microphones, that doesn't necessarily mean they would be a better fit to produce a band that you're really close with. Like, even if you were like a manager or somebody that really knows like where the band should go and like how they should sound, sometimes that might be a better suit than like someone just working in a studio. That was that was always my thing was like getting out of school and whatnot. I, I never wanted just to work, wanted to just work at a studio. Like I wanted to be somebody that specifically works with certain people. And if it didn't make sense, it didn't make sense. You know, um, ideally it's like, I didn't want to just be someone that wasn't, wasn't superly like creatively and super creatively not involved. Um, so I think that, when you're starting out, I think personality plays a long way and it's like it's meeting people and being friends with people and in and, and a very organic way and not being like, you know, like sleazy about it or pressure, just like really wanting to be someone that could could actually benefit from your process. I think it, it is really important to get good at some of the technical stuff. I mean, when I first started getting better at getting sounds, it was it was great because a lot of bands I was working with were younger and just starting out. They didn't want a producer. They just wanted someone that could just do all the other stuff. And that was a very like valuable skill. And I think every producer ideally should know that stuff. But I think the latter is more important because like, again, like, you know, being really good at, 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 at pro tools can only get you so far. You might get a cool credit here or there, but like ultimately I think 
getting more involved in bands and getting more involved in different artists and just being somebody that's around that people trust and feel comfortable with ultimately is is better because worst case you could always hire somebody that is more technical and and build a little bit of a team team behind it and um you might not know like how to use a compressor but you might know how to get the results that you want and know how a band should sound with saying that the one contradiction is that you don't want to be somebody that necessarily is a big shot out of the out of the gate and sort of like thinks that they can just kind of do anything it's it's tough because i i feel like i have really sort of slowly earned being able to say like oh i kind of produced this like i've been recording for 10 years now and even only the last few years i've really used the word producer um because even like four years ago, I'm like, ah, I'm more of an engineer. Like, you know, I don't get too involved in the bands to like create decision-making. I'm more here just to like get good sounds that they can use. And, you know, I have had younger people come into the studio as like an intern and they want to start like producing, like they start like making like decisions or like saying things to the band or myself. And like, that's like the worst thing that could ever happen is when a band has hired you because they trust you because of work that you've done or your reputation and all of a sudden you have like an intern like saying things <laughs> and like tones or their whatever like that's like it looks so bad on you it's like not everyone has to go through the, the back door like that but I'm, I'm i feel a bit proud to say that like you know i'm slowly getting there it's like the more i didn't just all of a sudden be like the first couple bands i recorded like yeah you should do that you should do that it's like i kind of earned the right of being in the studio so much that I can feel comfortable being like, I've been in this situation in my head. Like I've been in this situation before. I know that like, this is what we need to do to get this result. And the band has hired me because they like this thing that I did, or like they've heard good things or whatever it is. Like there is trust there. Like I'm going to say that, but I think it is tough to just start off right, right away and, and like telling bands what to do. But I think if you can really, get to know uh, a lot of artists and just be around and be some of the people that trust that that goes a real long way i think for sure and what about with uh people who are at that stage that you know they're trying to find clients like what what would you recommend for that you know it's it's tough because like i a lot of my clients were friends you know again like if this goes back to the same thing it's like i naturally was friends with mostly artists and i think that you can, if you're not, you can definitely still be without being, you know, too businessy about it or, or sleazy about it. But I think that, you know, unless you're that big name producer that everybody in the world would love to work with, you got to kind of start from the ground up. And I think by, by doing that, you can't just like open a studio and just like hand out business cards. Like you can, and you might get some work. Like people might be like, well, I need to record. I'll go to this place. But if you really want to start recording like specific people, I would say what I did in the early stages was like, I went up to bands that I liked and I was just like, you know, let me know if you're, whenever you're on to the next thing, like I would love to be involved in some way, whether that's just like recording a song or like maybe I could come record your live set, like depending on the band and how big they were. And if it was a smaller band, it's like, would you guys be interested in doing an EP with me? Would you be interested in doing this? You know, what I try to do for some of the younger people in Toronto is if I have a young engineer that is promising, like I will try to get them into the space and give them a discount so they can bring in bands and we help each other out. Cause it's like, that would help a lot. I think having a space where you can do it helps, but um, 
I think those would be the two biggest things. It's like approaching people and also sort of having some sort of home base that you can go to so that you can follow it up with something that's like, well, my friend has a studio. I get a deal there. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty great. You know, like when I first moved to the city, if I was going to be a part of a space, I wanted to feel good about it. Like I wanted to be like, yeah, like I like this space a lot. Um, I like the owner. I like the key. I like everything. It's like you want to feel honest and comfortable about that. So I think having some sort of something to fall uh, to back it up with really helps. But I think really at the end of the day, it's just talking to people and be like, you know, I've seen you guys play like four times now. Like I really understand where you guys are coming from and I know what, I really have a good idea of what I think you should sound like. And this is what I think. What do you think about that? And, you know, just approaching it that way. And I did that for the first like five years and eventually you do it enough and you do good work. Um, people will just literally tell other people and, and find you and, and you'll, you will get to the point where you don't need to really seek out people. Like right now I haven't seeked out a band in like the last two years. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't, like if I really saw a band live and I was just blown away, like I probably would maybe talk to them. But I think for me, like when I, when I was first recording bands, the bands I was working with were at the same level I were, I was at, you know, you don't want to necessarily jump the gun a little bit too much. And, and so a lot of the early recordings, if I were to go back and listen, some of them are okay. And some of them are not that great. It's because we, we were learning together. You know, I'm recording a band that is on their first thing ever and I'm kind of still learning. So I think that was a good thing for me is like not jumping the gun and, and, as we opened the studio and, and slightly bigger bands started coming in, it was okay. Well, I've been doing this for like seven years now. I'm still nervous as shit, but like, I feel a little bit more confident that like, okay, let's see how this goes. And um, yeah, I think, I think really starting with people that are kind of at your level really makes a lot of sense. Cause it's all just like great practice. And yeah. So, I mean, I know it's a very vague question, but we all know that there's no real sort of uh one answer because everyone finds their own sort of direction and some people just lump into something they they maybe get hired as studio as an intern and they meet the right person they do the right job and it just snowballs from there and that was kind of my thing was like I met the right musicians and I was humble about it and I was a good person to work with and I, I didn't make things difficult for people I I let them do their thing and I tried to make the best possible thing out of that and as I grew I got better and the bands got a little bit more legit and by that point I started feeling more comfortable maybe speaking up more and 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 saying things so it was a very like natural progression like I would say it was like a about a seven year thing of like starting to really just like talk to people to like eventually getting the studio and then eventually to the point where I luckily get enough consistent work that I don't really have to seek people out. And it feels weird for me to actually seek people out now. You know, it's, it's, it's a hard thing, but I, when you're first starting out, you know, you find bands that are just starting out. It's like they played their first show. Like, you know, maybe you are like more skilled than they are as far as, you know, you as an engineer or producer than they are as a band. And I think, you know, not like overshooting things too much and like finding, a band where you feel confident that you could do a good job with, you know, um, 
if I don't think I would do a good job with a band, like I don't want to do it. I don't think I should do it. And if, and if I didn't feel confident in that, I would be very honest with the band. You know, if, if I really wanted to record a hip hop artist, I would be honest about it. And I'd be like, look, I haven't recorded, I haven't done a lot of hip hop, but I'm looking to get more into it. And when I do stuff like that, I, that's when I start becoming a little bit more like, you know, I'll do it for cheaper. Or like, we'll, we'll figure out something because a lot of the work I'm getting is because I did this guitar band, you know, and it's like, I should treat those as more of like the, the more, you know, like sure thing kind of projects. And, but if, if I want to work with like a techno artist and I've never recorded too much techno, it's like, I might approach it more like I did seven years ago. Like, okay, well, you know, like we'll, we'll put a time limit. We will like, you know, we'll find that kind of balance where we're both, you know, we're like helping each other essentially. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's it's uh, something a lot of people don't think about. A lot of people just shoot for the moon and, and try getting all these, you know, people that are at a level that's much more advanced than where they're at. And sure. that's where your reputation can go to shit. And yeah. that's where you're going to get a lot of rejection as well. So it totally. uh, it definitely makes sense. And I, and I think the idea behind what you're saying is it really just you're building those relationships with people while they're at the same level as you. And you're just going to grow together and you're going to continue to keep those clients because they feel that they've they've seen that progression along with you. For sure. So we got to start to wrap up, but any cool projects that you're working on right now that you're proud to talk about or that you can talk about? Well, I, I, I kind of last minute got to work on the new Weaves record, which I'm pretty excited about. They are doing a lot with my partner, Leon, um, but I, I really like that band uh, and the record is really good from what I've heard so far. I ended up getting to do a majority of the vocals and a lot of fun like guitar dubs and a lot of that kind of sort of like last bit of like the fun stuff for the record so that was really that was pretty pretty exciting for me so I'm, I'm looking forward to that um and i'm doing a couple of like collaborative projects like one with my friend's band doom squad um we've we've been working on something for the last little while which is more just like us as artists working together. Um, but I guess I am like the only like producer, like engineer working on it. And, um, I, we, my band beliefs has a new record that I'm pretty excited about sharing. It's going to come out in, uh, August and the last two bigger, uh, the last two full lengths I just worked on was for Casper skulls and for fake palms. And both of those, I'm like really, really like happy with the record so far. Um, Casper Skulls is getting mixed by Alex Newport, um, who did like At the Drive-In and uh, like Death Cab for Cutie and stuff like that. Um, so I'm pretty, sh- and he actually mixed the first Weaves record as well. So I'm pretty excited to hear that. I put pr- like engineer produced it, co-produced it, and yeah, wicked. Definitely have to check all those out. And and how can people follow you online if they want to get a t- in touch with you or learn more about you? I really should do like a website, but like right now I just really just have like my Facebook page and I do have a lot of people that just add me, you know, that don't know me very personally or just send me a message or just have me to follow my stuff. And I share everything on like my Facebook and my Instagram. And I guess I I like that because I guess it's just, it's just sort of like what I'm doing and people are following it. But eventually I think I should get, um, some sort of website or, or blog. But right now, if you like, I, I post a lot of my stuff on Instagram and, and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's cool, man. That's awesome. Well, well, thanks a lot for being on here. I think you had a lot of really great advice and, and a lot of uh, cool insight as to like starting a studio and, and producing and, and a lot of other great awesome. stuff. So thanks. thanks a lot, man. Yeah. I really appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers. 
All right, so that was my interview with Josh Carodi. I hope you found a lot of useful information in there. I always love talking to studio owners and talking about the process of building their studio and what they learned in that and, and all of the work that went behind it. So I thought Josh shared some really great insight on that. And for any of you who are thinking of starting up your own studio, I think Josh had some really great light on the things that you need to be considering as you build your studio. So make sure to check out his studio website on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash candle recording. And you can see some great pictures of the studio and behind the scenes stuff that he's got going on there. And if this is your first time hearing about Master Your Mix, please make sure to check out the website masteryourmix.com. And at the top of the website, there is a link to download your free copy of my Ultimate Mixing Blueprint, which is a free download to help you with understanding EQ and compression. And in it, I share some settings to try out so that you can get cleaner, better mixes much faster. I'll share some characteristics of each instrument and where in the frequency spectrum those lie so that you know exactly what to do as you're mixing. So make sure to check that out. And if you like what you heard in this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast And also, if you have any questions that you'd like to have answered on future episodes or you have any suggestions for people that I should feature on here, please send me your questions at questions at MasterYourMix.com and I'll be sure to include them in the upcoming episodes. So that's it for now, guys. Hope you have an awesome day and I'll see you in the next episode. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.